back in December 2018, I had this funny little idea to start a podcast about health tech. I figured it might go for 10 or 20 episodes and be a fun little thing to do on the side, maybe meet a few new people. And fast forward to now, it's my full-time thing. And we're 250 episodes in. And looking back at 250 episodes, someone asked me recently, how many hours do you reckon that is of the podcast? Well, I guess if you averaged it out and say each episode is 30 minutes and times that by 250, that's 7,500 minutes or 125 hours, which is over five full days if you are listening 24-7. So if you're new to the show... You've got a bit of work to do to get through the backlog, but you know what? I'll save you the stress. Go to the Talking Health Tech website, and if you're part of the THT Plus community, so THT Plus is our membership offering for individuals and companies who are interested in connecting and learning about health tech. So if you're a member, jump into your member dashboard, and you can update your interests in your individual profile. So say you're really keen to learn about fire and telehealth or artificial intelligence and clinical coding and software as a medical device. You can choose all of those as your interest because it links to our glossary of terms. And then check out your personal post feed, which is a relatively new feature that we've added. And that curates all the podcast episodes and summit videos that relate to that content that you said you're interested in. So that's a neat way to listen back to the episodes that will deliver the most amount of value to you. Anyway, Another popular question that people ask is, you've done 250 episodes now, who was episode one? And if you scroll back far enough, you'll see it's Dr. Sylvia Pfeiffer from CoView. Now, I've known Sylvia longer than I've been doing this podcast. We were doing meetings back when CoView was still part of CSIRO, and I was with a vendor looking to integrate with their telehealth solution. We've worked in the same building before. And back then, 2016, 17, 18, the concept of a telehealth platform, it was a novelty. And if you go back and check out that episode, episode one, you'll hear the vibe of that conversation is kind of like, what is telehealth and is it legit? And do you think it'll ever go mainstream? Well, obviously back then, end of 2018, no one would have predicted what happened next. COVID has been a standout during COVID as patients and clinicians needed to shift rapidly to telehealth. So I figured, why not bring Sylvia back to celebrate hitting the 250-episode milestone, and to hear from her directly, what was it like going through that whirlwind scale-up stage? What's it like now that the dust has settled a little bit? And what does she think the next frontier in digital health will be? So let's get amongst it. You know how it goes for the 250th time. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. Hey, look, Sylvia, it's been a while. It's great to have you on the show again. 250 episodes since we last had you on. So thanks so much for, for joining again today. Thanks for having me. It, it's, it's been a massive time. Like uh, so much has happened. And, you know, to be fair, we have spoken a lot between, between when we recorded episode one and, and that, and you've been on a few summits and I'm pretty sure there's a few other panels and episodes you've, you've participated in between, but I thought given that we're doing episode 250, it's a good milestone. Episode one, you were the first guest on the podcast. And I'm pretty sure at the start of that episode, there's a line I say, which is like, um, you know, this is shaping the, the success or the culture. I was being a bit, bit, bit of a smart aleck, but saying, 
that you know the success hinges on uh, on this conversation. So obviously we're, we're we're here now. So we did something right, Sylvia. So You've done funny. very well. You've done very well. I I love the Talking Health Tech podcast. There's just so much interesting information from all your participants. So keep doing it. It's an amazing show. Well, I mean, talk about a roller coaster though. Like yourself, it's you've probably had more of a crazier time since uh, episode one. So. This was pre-pandemic. Episode one was recorded end of 2018, released early 2019. Tell us about it. What's what's happened since then? <laughs> everything. everything. Absolutely <laughs> everything has happened since then. We were a tiny little small startup at that point in time. We had just spun out of the CSIRO. We were really struggling to get traction. We were having to explain what telehealth is to every mm. single person. Uh, we were having to dig hard for, for any kind of market share. And the only people that were really willing to listen to us at that point in time were the speech pathologists because we had a, a pretty nice interface for them and maybe a couple of mental health providers that were hoping to do telehealth into rural and remote areas. Remember the Better Access Scheme? That's, yeah. that's, that's all there was for telehealth reimbursements at the time. And yes, in those three years, everything has happened. So not mm. just the pandemic, but the pandemic was obviously the catalyst for everything. So we now have telehealth reimbursements for specialists, GPs, allied health. We have basically every single hospital doing outpatient clinics with telehealth. It's become the normal word. Everyone knows what telehealth is. You, you can talk to anyone on the street and they understand what mm. we're doing. That didn't used to be the case. It's been a massive change. And we've obviously gone through the pandemic from doing about only 400 telehealth consultations a day. That was at the beginning of 2020 to doing at the height of it, 25,000 consultations a day. We're still doing about 16,000, which is okay. it's still quite massive. Yeah. Um, and it's not going down anymore. It's actually stabilized and it's going up again. So people are now finally embracing telehealth as a business as usual thing, as something that they need to do, hybrid clinics, all that stuff that I talked about three mm. years ago is <laughs> finally starting to happen. What a, what a feeling, what an amazing ride. And I'm pretty sure either you said it or I thought it, but at the time when it all hit and as, as COVID ramping up, people doing social distancing and telehealth is, is a requirement, it, you know, people talk about hockey stick growth in startup world. It was like a brick wall kind of like growth. It was just a, a right angle, a right angle for you. Tell us about that scale up process. Like what was, what was that like? That must've been something like that you haven't experienced before. Uh, I don't think anyone has experienced anything like that before. It was just the craziest time. And we weren't the only ones doing this. Mm. Every single company in the world that was doing video, video mm. telehealth specifically, but also video calls at the same kind of hockey stick, uh, well, explosive grows. And it was, it was a brick wall. You're quite right. Um, uh, our investors in 2020, they said they'd, they've ne never had to look at, uh, at growth in a logarithmic scale before just to see anything <laughs> at all. It was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny too, because we'll, we were even working in the same building at the time and, you know, every day coming in, seeing that this is just before people were still going home and you were having to bring in staff. What was that scale up process like in actually trying to bring in people to be able to meet the demand? Yeah, let's talk people first before we talk technology. Yeah. Um, so staff was one of my biggest challenges at the time. And 
I, I apologize, Pete, but um, I know we bumped into each other almost on a daily basis and I had to tell you, sorry, Pete, but I really don't have time for you. So I hope you understand that. <laughs> you make out like I was kind of hovering around looking for something to do. But no, I I, I made a point to know that Sylvia is probably pretty busy right now. Now is not a good time to chat. But yes, that's... Uh... Yeah, yeah. Now you weren't hovering, but we were in the same building and there weren't, weren't that many other people around anymore. They'd yeah. all started going home, whereas yep. I was bringing in more and more people. In fact, yeah. we were actually being told to social distance. And I said, I can't. We're supporting all these people that are doing telehealth calls yeah. and I need to support all my staff. I need to actually train them up. So we were going from seven staff that we had at the time. Actually, in that building, we only had three because the rest are our software team and they're up in Brisbane. Mm. So we had three staff in that building and within two weeks we went up to 25 wow. so it's just inc incredible growth incredible so we went and I told everyone in our staff if they knew anyone who had nothing to do who had you know lost their job their startup had broken who had any kind of understanding of technology any kind of understanding of how computers works and how how to do a video call i would hire them you know immediately so mm. uh, they would start i would have a five minute interview with them i would immediately put them on and uh, two days later they would they would be uh, upskilled enough to train the next lot of people that we that we had hired so that's that's how it went it just went higher 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 as quickly mm. as possible and the need was for actually helping healthcare practitioners pick up telehealth. They didn't mm. know uh, what they needed, what they had to set up, what technology to use, what uh, what computers to use, how to get on the internet, how to invite their patients. So they were all desperate. They were all panicking. And what we need to do is provide them with an ability to get help. And so um, we did that maybe half good, half bad. Our phone lines were basically always occupied, so you couldn't get through on a phone line. But our chat was really manned very well. So the text chat on the website worked really well. You could mm. immediately get help there. Emails were piling up. We could not get through the emails. It was just impossible. So emails would take us a week to reply. So we put a message on the website saying, this is how long it'll take us to reply to all of these things. It was insane, but we really, really wanted to help customers. And the quickest was just through a quick text message on the website because we could deal with five customers in parallel and hold these conversations it, it it was really the most scalable way of of helping helping people and you got to imagine it there were people like gps who had been doing uh, their in-person consultations forever and suddenly they were put in this situation where they had to maybe they even had caught covid they had to work from home but they had to deal with technology that they had never been exposed to some of our customers were sitting in front of their computer in their in their practice and had signed up to Curview and went, so what do I do next? And so between a bit of back and forth with them, we actually finally realized they didn't have a camera, they didn't have a microphone, and they had no idea that they, those were requirements in order to do a video call. So, mm. you know, it's that kind of level of help that we needed to provide. And that was immediate and immediately necessary. 
Yeah. Which is crazy. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, you know, even from my own experience about implementing technology in healthcare, quite often the norm is you'd go out to it. You know, if you're doing a big launch of a new system, you'd probably send out staff members to stand next to doctors and, you know, ha like handhold them through the process or in practice managers. So p people using the platform because it might be a bit of a step change for them, but obviously you can't do that in that kind of situation. I imagine for you as, as the founder, the, I mean, you, you can't sustain that level of adrenaline for too long. You must've been <laughs> remarkably drained like through that process. Well, uh, it was two weeks. So the worst part was from the uh, about the 23rd of March 2020, when the Medicare items were announced to Easter. Easter in 2020 was uh, at the beginning of, of April then. Mm. And at about Easter, people had sort of gotten the hang of it and, and it all quieted down. So it was two weeks of intense, intense work. I got four hours of sleep every night. It was insane. I was absolutely working on adrenaline. I really still don't know how I made it through, but mm. somehow it just works. And the staffing part was only one part of the problem, one mm. part of the challenge. So putting on staff and they were great. They really picked it up. Whenever they had issues, they'd come to me, but mostly they'd help each other, which was really great. The other problem was technology. So like every other video conferencing platform in the world during that time, we had outages. And every time we had a technology problem, we needed to fix it urgently and as quickly as possible. And every mm. time we had an outage, the phone lines would go hot and, and everyone was just so much more on adrenaline. It was that that was the most insane part of it. Um, at that point in time, we also already had a contract with Health Direct. Funnily enough, our Health Direct contract, we, we rolled out the technology in September 2019. Mm. So that was about six months before the pandemic hit. Um, mm. And so by that time, Health Direct was also really scaling up crazy. So we had Health Direct. And that means all the uh, outpatient clinics and uh, the public hospitals across the different states scaling up massively. And that's quite a different target audience to our audience that we have directly as SaaS customer on our website. So we mostly have allied health providers directly on our website, whereas specialists and nurses and GPs are the ones that are mostly on the Health Direct platform. And so they Health Direct was having a similar problem to us. Obviously, they had to support all of their customers. They had to scale up their team as well. Um, but whenever we had a technology problem, both the Health Direct team and our team were going in overdrive. Um, and, and so I had to hire also engineers at the same time. So while hiring staff for customer support was you know, that was quick and dirty, so to speak. I would take anyone who could. Mm. Um, anyone who's polite. <laughs> just, just come on. In anyone who's polite and has any kind of technology yeah. understanding. So primarily oh. we were picking up uh, young people, which which was just amazing, you yeah. know. For the tech team, I needed to hire experienced engineers. Mm. Um, and to be honest, we were actually in a pretty positive situation then because everyone else was letting people go. So we didn't do much searching. We just picked up some really great people directly just off the market because they were available. It was actually not too hard, but doing all of this at the same time, that was a tough call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
And then there's the actual, there's the people who create and fix the technology, but there's also the technology itself as well. So yeah. Oh yeah. The, um... My co-founder, Nathan, he's the, he was the key person fixing the bugs and we got some help from, um, from an outside company, AC3. They were jumping in as well to help with the infrastructure at AWS. Yeah. AWS were available. AWS did all they could to help us scale up our systems. Uh, so amongst all of those, they were really, really busy. And the one thing I did was to actually isolate Nathan from everybody else so he could really focus on getting the technology up to speed to the extent that um, the rest of the staff, particularly the, the new ones that I hired, they they always heard about this magic person, Nathan, that fixes everything. And so two months in, we had an all hands for the first time because we could finally calm down and actually talk to each other. Every single person was on a video call, not just our customer success team. Mm. And for the first time, the <laughs> business team met the engineering team. You let them Nathan, out, let them out of the box. <laughs> we let them out of the box and we connected them. And so Nathan said hello to everyone. And so everyone went, oh, wow, he's not just a magic person. He actually exists. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And so many interesting um lessons for people obviously like the, the chance of going through such rapid scale is, is pretty low but there's there's some good lessons there for people in their own businesses and thinking about how they might scale and some some great great parts there i'm really fascinated what you've seen though obviously well familiar with telehealth and the benefits of it and knew that all obviously before the pandemic but now there's been a lot of consultations that have gone through you would yeah. have seen you know, and heard from a lot of clinicians about what works and what doesn't. Now, after, since episode one until now, have you learned anything about the practical application of telehealth and where it's good and when it's not now that you've seen so much done on mass? Oh, um, massively. I mean, every single clinician basically had to pick up telehealth. And if they didn't, so this is another interesting aspect. Our customers were actually really grateful to us. They said we saved their businesses particularly the smaller ones. And then there were smaller businesses that refused to do telehealth and some of them collapsed. They just right. because they didn't have enough revenue coming in. So we heard from such people as well, which, you know, is a bit heartbreaking when you hear healthcare practitioners not being able to live through the pandemic, despite them actually being like the most important people yeah. to support us in a, through a pandemic. Right. So the ones that... Uh, they picked it up the most easiest were the mental health providers and mm -hmm. mental health and to, to a large extent, even addiction support right now, what's called behavioral health in the US is the area that's finding it the easiest to continue doing it. And there's a number of reasons for that. Obviously, you can provide mental health via video call relatively easily. You don't need to touch people to provide mental health support. Mm -hmm. It's all about conversations. It's all about supporting people with their anxieties and, 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 and problems. So mental health is obviously the easiest one where, where we can pick up telehealth and actually convert practices to a large extent to either a hybrid or even a, a completely virtual pathway. It's also because patients actually prefer doing those consultations from home rather than going to a clinician because yeah. it's more it's more privacy preserving and you don't have to expose yourself as much. So that's the easiest area to convert to telehealth. Mm. Then we've got the allied health providers, I suppose, uh, other allied health providers that have picked it up really well. Speech pathology is doing really well. And speech pathology has an interesting challenge because a lot of speech pathology requires 
what is called stimulus material. So any kind of paper, normally paper-based material where you let people do certain things or you make them read out stuff, etc., or even standardized tests. And so mm. we've seen a lot of interest in speech pathology because we provide those standardized tests as part of our platform in, in our app marketplace. And so that's that's really helping. And similar things apply to other professions. We know, for example, that that some of these standardized tests are great for people that are recovering from brain surgery, mm-hmm. where they're starting to need to, to learn to speak again, things like that. Essentially, what we've seen, and this is what I've predicted before, is that every single profession in healthcare can do some of their work via telehealth, mm. even if it's just the follow-ups after a surgery or something like that. So hybrid should be the norm for the future. It should be that we offer every single patient the opportunity to do telehealth, particularly if they have to travel long distances or they're feeling unsafe leaving their homes. You know, there are so many reasons why we should be offering patients the ability to do telehealth. And I'll be frank, I've seen many clinicians just go through the pandemic, offer telehealth, embrace it through the pandemic, and then just go to back to in-person health and require their patients to come to them mm. in person again, which is a bit heartbreaking because, again, clinicians are thinking more about themselves and the easy, how easy it is for themselves to have their consultations and not so much about what might be more appropriate for their, their patients. So, yeah. you know, if a patient doesn't have to leave their homes to go and see their rheumatologist, why make them come to the office? Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's been so many good examples now of how telehealth can be used in certain elements through the patient's life cycle. It doesn't need to be the entirety of the care they receive, but it's like it's it, it makes a lot of sense. So the, the technology is there, the capability, and now the funding is there, which is a really important part, and, and obviously that triggers. So. Yes, now we have to change the pathways. The patient pathways, they're still set in stone for, for in-person consultations, and it just has to get adapted a little bit to allow for that flexibility. You know, video and phone consultations should just become part of everyday health care. It shouldn't be a special thing anymore. I agree. Hey, before you mentioned the app marketplace, and and, and I imagine partnerships and integrations are a pretty critical element to everything you do at CoView. How how do you think about partnerships and collaborations, integrations within this space? Obviously, as a video telehealth platform, and by the way, we're about to launch phone capabilities as well. So we can do phone telehealth uh, through our platform as well, which is great because you get an integrated way of reporting about all your telehealth. Mm. Um, anyway, if we we are satisfying one small part of, of digital care and, and it can't stand alone because we can't expect clinicians to sign into 50 different apps to get their work done. We have to make their lives as easy as possible. So integrations is a huge thing for us. And we're offering many different ways of integrations. The most important one is the apps that you're talking about. That's about uh, giving clinicians clinical tools during the video consultation or the phone consultation in future as much as possible to uplift the quality of care that they provide through the video call. Because in-person consults, you have a lot of tools that you use as a clinician. But what happens when you go to a, a video consult, you're much more limited in the kinds of things you can do. And so we, we want to expand that to give you as much as possible. And we do that through standardized assessments. We've got these partnerships with Pearson Clinical, and we've integrated with a lot of other standardized assessments as well. 
and that, that's standardized assessments across speech pathology, mental health, occupational therapy, physical therapy, etc. We're building more clinical tools also that are built on top of artificial intelligence. So we've built a thing called PhysioROM, which is a range of motion calculation tool that's using your video to analyze your range of motion. It's almost creating a standardized measurement for range of motion, which is really great because then uh, every time you have an assessment uh, a week later and to check whether post-knee surgery, your knee is now more flexible, you can actually see from the measurements that the video call takes that it's improving. It becomes a standardized physiological measurement mean, which is which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah. And we've just done another grant application that we've won for wound care. So we will be analyzing wounds through video calls as well. The depth of the wound, the width and height of the wound, uh, the color of it and and how it's developing over time. So that kind of stuff is really helpful uh, to clinicians. And there's something there too about the fact that it's happening digitally, the consultation, and then taking not just the the communicating part, but, you know, capturing of information, whether it's the assessments or surveys, or then also the, the utilizing AI, whether it's diagnostic or just, you know, um, measuring it against, you Supporting. know, another pretty different time. Yeah. Supporting all, all, diagnosis. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of those things, it's capturing data, which then can, uh, you know, if done correctly, can then be utilized for better care and then hopefully hopefully over a longer period of time, allow more longitudinal studies or at a bigger picture. So there's a lot to be said there about the potential that can come from doing more telehealth, not even just for convenience side of things, but then thinking about the the data to be captured and using that in an effective way to, to, to make better clinical decisions over a long period of time. That'll be really interesting to watch, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. That goes into almost into like asynchronous telehealth, which is mm. remote patient monitoring, which is, I think, one of the, the next frontiers uh, of telehealth, to be honest. But it also, from our point of view, it also opens up integrations with practice management software. So all yeah. the reports and analysis and all that stuff that we do should go into the patient summary, into the patient's record, which mm. is typically held in a PMS or an EMR system. So we are very keen to have those kinds of data integrations. We're starting to develop those. They're not easy to, to develop, which is why we're only just now getting to it. But that's an area that we're really focusing on. This far, we've really focused with PMS and EMRs on, on what we call link integration, which is around bookings. So when you do a booking there, you, you'll have a link and the link goes into our video call functionality. But you can also start talking about the data integration. So there's different types of integrations that we do and, and that we're pursuing. You know, asynchronous telehealth is definitely the area where there's the most development in telehealth right now, mm. the, the larger area of, of remote patient monitoring and patient-created health records. So it's, 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 there's a lot happening in a lot of us in that space. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thinking then a good amount of our listeners might be creating technology and would think a partnership or a collaboration somehow with Coview would make a lot of sense. Is there a standard way to engage with, is it a partnership team? How does that all work if you're looking to integrate with Coview? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we have these different types of integrations, the apps, the link integrations, the data integrations. We even do research partners. We have an API and uh, we are also now starting to become an identity provider so that we can actually plug applications directly into Curview so people don't have to sign in multiple times. They can just sign into Curview and get access to multiple other applications. Mm. 
So there's different types of integrations that we're, we'll be offering and we, we are working on. We, we've already offered particularly the, the apps, the in-call apps. That's the biggest one we're doing. We have a specific page on our website and that points at the different different types of integrations we have. There are different people behind the different types of integrations that we would put you in contact with. And so just reach out. If you don't know who to go to at all, uh, email support at coview.com. It'll definitely come through. But reach out through those channels. We also have our API documentation and our integration documentation available on GitHub for free. So you can actually start reading about those integration opportunities even directly uh, on our website. Well prepared. I like it. I like it. <laughs> That's good. We try uh, to make things as simple and as friction-free as possible. And if it's not friction-free, it's because it's hard to do. So we're still working on making it less uh, with less friction. I love that. I love that. Hey, look, thinking then about telehealth, we're at an interesting time now with some of the dust has settled. There's still lots of dust everywhere, but it's you know, obviously <laughs> not as where it was when it hit that peak. You mentioned that next frontier. Like what, what's next? How do you see this kind of playing out with telehealth? How do we sustain that change that, that we've, we've all ridden over the last couple of years? Oh, there's so much new stuff happening at the moment. We were focusing on integrations because we know that there's so many different digital health aspects in healthcare that need to be done and we can't do them all. So we prefer partnerships. Where's the future of health? What's the next frontier? Hmm. I would actually say that the next frontier for us is the next area that needs reimbursements, Medicare reimbursements or some kind of reimbursements for the work that's being done. And, and that includes things like digital therapeutics. Mm. Digital therapeutics for me is when you have a mobile application, a mobile phone application, and it helps you, let's say, track your mental health or it helps you track your cancer rehabilitation or something like that. Mm -hmm. And these digital therapeutics are actually as good as taking a pharmaceutical, as good as taking some kind of drug that and they help you become better. And so we pay for drugs. We reimburse drugs. We reimburse things that make people better. Why wouldn't we reimburse digital therapeutics as well? In Europe, they've already put that in place. There's certain mobile apps that you can uh, get a prescription for, and then when you use it, it helps you and it, it stops you from taking drugs. I think that's a, that's a brilliant new approach. And I think it's something that we need to start thinking about in this country as well. Yeah. Similarly, remote patient monitoring is another area that I've mentioned this before, but I, I think that's part of a telehealth, remote patient monitoring. And it's been talked about a long time. There have been many studies. There's good results that it will help patients become better. It stops adverse effects from happening. It stops people from going to, to hospital. People feel taken care of. There's so many good things about it, and yet there's no reimbursement. Hmm. Um, in America, you get reimbursed for, for joining a remote patient monitoring program and, and your doctor gets paid for checking in, your doctor gets paid for setting it up for you. You know, that's the kind of stuff that will help us. And that's the next frontier. If we don't have reimbursements for these new technologies, they won't happen. That's what I can tell you from telehealth. Uh, we struggled really big time before the pandemic with telehealth, with phone and video telehealth, because there were so few reimbursements. So it was it was a tough life. And now everyone's doing it. And it's, it, it's a market. There's a market there. It's a business model for the healthcare providers behind it. They're starting to embrace it. There's new ideas around it. That's the way to do it. And I think we need to do that for other things as well. 
Absolutely. And that's the thing I worry about, or at least want to make sure that we're having the conversation to try and push it forward just a little bit further, because we don't need another pandemic or something as disruptive as, as what's occurred to be able to get reimbursement for telehealth as we do for asynchronous or whether it's for remote patient monitoring or for digital therapeutics, all of these elements that some clinicians are just doing and either patients are paying for or clinicians are wearing the cost for because they know that it's effective or they're seeing results. And so mm. I think with more attention to this, hopefully then we can start to see some of these things be done at a bit more scale. It doesn't need to be done at the same rapid pace, or maybe it does, <laughs> maybe it could. But I think there's a lot to learn from the past couple of years and, and hopefully continue to evolve to do some, some meaningful things. Absolutely. It's all part of preventative health, to be honest. We want to stop people from ending up in hospitals. We know how, how hard it was for our hospitals to, to survive through the pandemic. And yeah. all of these things keep people in the community and keep them in primary care, which is where it's much, much cheaper to, to support them. So we all know chronic illness is our biggest challenge. And chronic illness, the only thing we can do is keep people happy and supported in the community and give them care in the community because the minute that they end up in hospital it's just far too expensive and and it's not it's not where we want them really hey, look close us out sylvia you've you've got a bit of a to-do list that's that's sitting there and you've, you've got a <laughs> bit of a strategy in a big picture we've touched on a lot of it but just to summarize and close it out what's really on your priority list for the next 6 12 24 what are we going to see from coview the uh, next six months, we're we're going to be launching a couple new things, and I'm just whispering some secrets here, some semi <laughs> semi health secrets. Right, I won't uh, tell anyone. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we are launching phone telehealth, which is what I what I mentioned before. So you can actually have waiting areas where people call in via phone or they call in via video. You can pick them up from 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 there. So that's the phone telehealth work we're doing. We're also supporting group therapy. So that's bigger groups of people getting telehealth support. So that's another big one. So that's coming over the next six months. We're also expanding in the US. So we're starting to see some traction in the US in, in behavioral health specifically. Lots of companies there are thinking about how they can scale their telehealth use. You know, they might still be using Skype or some, or, or just let, let the clinicians pick whichever platform they want to use for telehealth. Mm. And so they're thinking about how can they get a system that more centrally gives them oversight over their, their telehealth services. And so that's, that's where we're going. So that's our, our six to 12 months goals. Integrations is the other big thing. That's more a 12 to 24 month goal. It's a lot of work to get integrations happening properly. We're working on that data integration side. I can probably mention that we've done some experiments around putting CoView into Penn's Yes Top Bar. So that would allow clinicians to see patient information right in the video call uh, if they're using it in primary care mm. with one of the PMSs that, that uh, PenCS supports. So that's the areas that we're focusing on integrations. That's why we talked a lot about it, I guess, is top of my mind is one of the things that I worry about a lot. And I've talked with a lot of people about integrations for many years, but we've really not had the horsepower to do it properly. We now have a lot more staff and we can really go properly into that space. As part of that, at some point there, we will also do a next investment round and that will really help us push up the integrations even more as well. Busy time. Have you had a break? Between, between, <laughs> have you had time off, Sylvia? I worry about you sometimes, but as long as oh, 
<laughs> There's nothing to worry about. I've, I've had time off over Christmas um, every year Good. with the, the amount of stuff that we have now. It's just amazing. I can actually go on a holiday and not worry about systems so, okay. because it's all it's all in good stead. I'm actually going to Germany in June. So next month, um, cool. I, I will be in Germany for a month and I will probably not do that much for Coview. I'll actually be working on a white paper just to put my thoughts on, on uh, the healthcare system in in writing, but uh, mostly I'll spend time with family. I'm obviously from Germany and uh, it's my dad's birthday. And so I just want to spend time with family. Well, that's, it's amazing to hear. It's such a fascinating story and I'm glad we've been able to reflect on it a little bit today. Silver, I really appreciate you making the time. Of course, we'll put all the details for CoView and everything in the show notes of this episode. There are a bunch of links we mentioned in the middle there. We'll put in the notes as well for people to connect with about partnerships and other opportunities as well. All the best for the future. Hopefully it's not another 250 episodes until we talk again on the show. Thank you so much. At the speed that you're going at, um, I will probably not find time before your next 250 <laughs> we'll, ones. We'll talk at episode 500 <laughs> then. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> That's a deal. See you okay. then. See you then. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.